0: or launch your dream business. All of these courses are totally free. All you got to do is head on over to U-TurnPodcast.com. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N Podcast.com. Now let's get started with this week's guest.
1: One of the most effective ways that we can uh, conquer the fear of speaking up is by mentally reframing the way we talk to ourselves. Have you heard of this term reframe? Yes. Yeah, yes. It's, it's very, very powerful. And what happens is, again, it gets back to the social wiring in our brain. It's okay to feel a little anxious when you're in front of a group or even the thought of speaking up. It's okay to feel anxious. So it's actually wrong to say, you should conquer a fear, con- overcome it it's actually very hard to do because it's so ingrained in us but you can reframe where you have so many you have so many positive images of yourself speaking or encouraging and inspiring a group that it becomes at a point where you begin to wash over all of the negative stuff doesn't mean that the uh, the negative feelings are not still there they are they're just minimized Actually, the interesting thing that I spot, and this is something that I tried to teach people as well, I don't know if you did this naturally or if you had read about it, you asked three key questions to Mm -hmm. help your audience unlock their career potential. Mm -hmm. Well, what's interesting is that three is one of the most powerful numbers in communication theory, which is something that I think this is a great tip for all of your listeners today. Mm -hmm. If you have an idea or a project, or a presentation to get across, try to stick to three points. Don't give people 18 reasons to back your project. Don't give your boss 18 reasons to back your project. Mm. If you're in a uh, job interview situation, don't give people nine reasons to hire you. Give them three. Three is the most powerful number in communication. And this this goes back thousands of years because our brains are kind of wired to think in groups of three. And so that's why um, a lot of great TED Talks and a lot of great writing and books, everything is sort of divided into three parts. Because in short-term memory, we can only – Really understand and absorb about three points of information. Anything more than that, and this has been shown, there's data and science to back that up. Too long of a list. Uh, actually gets people confused and they forget the whole thing. Yeah. So the power of three is actually really important. And you, I don't know if you did that naturally, but you kind of broke up your presentation at TEDx into three. That's very well done.
0: Do you know who inspired me was President Obama. I, stu- I watched his, a few of his speeches, and that was what made me choose the three questions versus three points. Uh, and for those of you listening, if you haven't watched my TED Talk, it's about three questions— to ask yourself to figure out your authentic career path. So that's what he's referring to.
1: Okay, that, awesome. That doesn't surprise me, Ashley, because uh, o- Obama worked with some great speech writers. Mm. Speech writers know this. Mm. This is fundamental to speech writing and most great speeches are actually broken up into three parts. Okay, so amazing. there you go. Wow,
0: and so this could apply if, if you're an entrepreneur and you're speaking to an audience. Also, if you're at work and you're giving a presentation to a client, right?
1: If you're giving a presentation to a client um, in any capacity, I really try to focus on breaking it up into three. Give them three reasons to back a product or an idea. Give them three features of a product to stick to. Uh, I I wrote a book many years ago on Steve Jobs and how to give a Steve Jobs style of presentation. And it was uncanny how often he actually grouped things into threes. So always think of bucketing ideas or information into groups of three, because science actually has proven that's the best way for your audience to absorb that information.
0: Got it. Wonderful. Okay. And um, what was I doing that you think could have been massively improved for everybody who watches the talk, you know, probably pausing this podcast to watch it so they could take your critique? What could I have done so much better? (laughs) Other than my horrible outfit, because my pants definitely didn't fit me, and I realized that in retrospect.
1: <laughs> oh, gosh, you know, I didn't notice the outfit. That's I didn't good. notice the outfit. I was really consumed with the talk. I thought it was i thought it was marvelous and very well done. Thank you. I thought you had good stories. We can talk about storytelling in this interview, by the way. It's yeah. very important for uh, for millennials and for people in the workplace. So we can talk about storytelling, but you told stories. You didn't just have a whole bunch of facts and figures. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also had, and this is something else we should touch on when you gave a presentation it was very visual I saw images and pictures I didn't see bullet points bullet points are the worst way of delivering presentations and yet that's what most people do Mm. I also think that you probably rehearsed and probably rehearsed quite a bit for that
0: yeah I had that thing memorized like I probably could still do it now five years later
1: there you go. Most people do not. And again, I can tell. I'm can. I. I'm very good. I've been doing this for like 20 years. I'm very good at telling uh, who's actually put some time into their presentation and who has not. Mm. And I can tell right out of the gate that you had actually thought through the structure, thought through the narrative and practiced most people, and here's another tip we could offer your listeners today, most people do not practice a presentation. They just put a whole bunch of slides together, then they go into their meeting, they go into the room, and they think they're going to wow their client or their peers or their boss based on how, how cool the slides look or the font they used on slide number 32 without actually thinking through the narrative and practicing. Mm. So practicing is one of the most simple and underrated skills.
0: Mm-hmm. I guess because it creates certainty, right? Like really a familiarity with it.
1: You internalize it and it actually gives you confidence. A lot yeah. of people say to me, well, doesn't it sound too robotic? No, not at all. Just the opposite. Because once you've internalized it and you've done it a million times, uh, well, not a million, but 10, you do it enough times, you- give that presentation. When you actually do it for real, it's kind of like an athlete going through visualization. That's what great athletes do. You've already done it. You've been there. It it, it helps to lower the nerves a little bit and actually give you confidence and Having an opportunity to have fun in the presentation instead Wonderful. of always instead of being focused on oh now what am I going to say next uh how did I begin that next slide? what am I going to say to this oh I'm sorry that slide is out of place it's actually supposed to be that table no if you've already done it ten times you can go out there with a smile on your face and you've got more confidence
0: yeah boop, 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 coming on stage after <laughs> having practiced <laughs> Well, um, what is one thing that you think is the trademark, and I know we'll get into five steps to stand out with persuasion and communication, but what is one thing you think is the trademark of a truly excellent speaker?
1: Overcoming a fear. I think there is a fear that holds a lot of people back, unfortunately, especially in the workplace today. Mm-hmm. Um, Adam Grant, who is the great Wharton professor, mm-hmm. uh, it had, a great, had a book called originals. Mm-hmm. And originals are those people who really stand out because they've got these great original ideas. And he, he said something really important in that book. He said, you can have original an original idea, but you have to also be able to advocate for it. Mm-hmm. If we want people to accept our ideas, we need to speak up for them. Mm-hmm. That is the big difference between People who are average in the workplace, Ashley, and who just kind of struggle along. And the people who I interviewed for my book, which are people who are uh, many millennials who are exceptional in what they do. Mm -hmm. They get promoted ahead of everybody else. Uh, They step into leadership positions ahead of everyone. And it's because they have the ability to be better public speakers, better communicators, especially in front of groups. But almost everybody I've interviewed for for this five stars book that's coming out and also my previous books, almost everybody I've interviewed and everybody I've talked to, even very famous people, have had to overcome the fear of public speaking. Mm -hmm. We all have it. It's, it's socially ingrained in us. Uh, those people thousands of years ago who were not accepted by the tribe were kicked out of the cave. Mm. So that's a problem. You don't want to be out on your own. So it actually has become, so psychologists will tell you this, it's actually very important for us to be accepted by the group. So it's natural to have a little tendency to be anxious or nervous about speaking up in front of a group. So what happens to many of your listeners when they're in a meeting? Um, they're not the ones who speak up because they want to be accepted. They may they may not take an opportunity to give those Presentations. They'll let somebody else do it. Mm-hmm. I see that all the time in the workplace.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's and like yet, it's not even we, the smartest person that's always getting ahead. It's just de- necessi- potentially the best communicator
1: or the, the most fearless one. Uh, well, the, yes, the people who actually study the art of persuasion. I call it an art because it really is a science and an art and who have overcome that kind of fear that holds them back. Let me give you one. Uh, I'll give you two examples. Um, all of both of these people, I'm sure all of your listeners know. Uh, Barbara Corcoran is on Shark Tank. Yeah. She is the she's the woman who started a real estate empire in New York. Well, Barbara Corcoran has told me specifically she was terrified of public speaking when she was a young real estate agent in New York. Terrified, and she knew she had to get over that fear if she was going to begin convincing you know people with big money to buy uh, condos at that time. Mm-hmm. So she actually. Uh, started teaching at a, a local university. Just started teaching uh, real estate courses to get over that fear. Warren Buffett went one step further. One Warren Buffett has publicly said that if you are a better public speaker, it will raise the val your value in the workplace by fifty percent instantly. Mm. And he has said that publicly on a couple of occasions. The interesting thing about Warren Buffett is he, again, acknowledged, just like Bar- Barbara Corcoran, he had a paralyzing fear of public speaking when he was young. But he realized that he needed to step up. How was he going to convince people to put give him their money if he couldn't communicate well and if he was nervous every time he got up in front of people? So he went to a public speaking course. He took a public speaking course. And then he, too, started teaching at a university. Mm-hmm. But to this day, and I saw this in a documentary, to this day he has one degree in his office, like a framed degree. It's not from his business school. It's from the uh, Dale Carnegie public speaking course that he took because he said that is the, the most important course uh, in my career was public speaking.
0: Wow, so profound. Yeah. And is what is the data on it that people are more afraid of public speaking? Is it than death? Is it the number one? <laughs> <laughs> is that true? Is that a myth? You know, I,
1: I I don't. Sometimes when I hear those kinds of, of uh, studies
0: or whatever those they are, kind
1: of, that kind of date, I'm a little skeptical about it. Everyone yeah, no smile. kidding. Uh, I think there was an old Jerry Seinfeld joke, right? That was something related to that about, you know, uh, so you'd rather be the person in the coffin than the one giving the talk. huh? OK, <laughs> yeah, it's extreme. It. <laughs> well, um, but it is certainly one of those. Again, it gets back to those social uh, fears, so the, uh, it is heavily ingrained in us. I read an entire psychology book on on social on on why we are actually um, so fearful of getting up in front of a group, and and it's it's because this is a mindset that's completely ingrained in us. So I think that one of the biggest things you could do, you have if you want to be someone who's accepted for their original ideas, and you want to be promoted in the workplace, start taking those opportunities to to speak up in a meeting, go slow, speak up in a meeting, give short presentations. Uh, The more you practice, the more comfortable you're going to get with it. But if you never practice, then you're never going to get comfortable with it. That's why people always say, well, I'm afraid of public speaking. And I've never gotten over it. Mm -hmm. You've never gotten over over it, probably because you haven't put yourself out there to get over it. Yes. Barbara Corcoran, Warren Buffett and many, many others. Richard Branson's another person I've talked to who had a fear of public speaking. They get over it, but they actively they put themselves out there and they take the steps necessary to I'm not going to say conquer your fear. Okay, because it's so ingrained in us that we always get a little nervous in front of people. Um, But it's a matter of, I heard it once, take the butterflies in your stomach and have them move in the same direction. Yeah, it's like be with Yeah, turn it into energy.
0: Yes, and that was one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was, um, I used to call it, by the way, Carmine, I'm sure you haven't heard this one because I made this one up in my crazy mind, but the throw up and the show up because... I would, when I worked at the Pentagon, it was it was that. It was like, I would go into a meeting, I knew I had to speak up and I would literally go throw up. I was so anxious. And then I would walk in like nothing happened. <laughs> you know, it was just <laughs> dealing with the fear. Um, and so I'm curious, first of all, before we get into your five points and point number one, I wanna know, is there anything somebody can do to buy themselves time when they feel on the spot and somebody asks them a question when they're in a public domain? So, you know, let's say they're giving that client presentation and they're stepping into their fear, they're leaning into it and somebody raises their hand and they ask a question that they need a second to process. Um, what do you suggest? How do you be with that?
1: Don't feel the need to fill time. Mm -hmm. Okay. Don't need to, don't feel like you need to fill that space. Uh, even now, I feel like I, I need to fill the space. I can't just pause for a second. I mean, again, this is a very natural thing. So what happens? There's a lot of filler words. Um, um, uh, yeah, and uh, that actually doesn't give people the impression of confidence. What gives people the impression of someone who is really competent and confident about their topic is the ability to pause. To mm. so just take that second think about it and then give your response. So what happens is too many of us, uh, we have to process it in our mind. We got to think about it for a second, but we don't like that dead air. So we start going, I, and uh, yeah, Ashley, um, that's a, um, a really good question. And pretty soon I don't have an answer and I'm just, I'm just rambling. I don't, I don't sound very confident. So, uh, but I don't like being put in that position in the first place. Mm. That's why I'm always thinking, always preparing ahead of time, thinking to myself, what are those potential questions that are gonna throw me? What are those questions that uh, are the hardest questions for me to answer? Yeah. That's the way – I started actually in journalism and then I've, I transitioned to media training and I, I still do a little of that. But that's when CEOs go on CNBC or some other show. They only have about three, four or five minutes and they – often they're asked very difficult questions. We can't predict Every question that we're going to be asked. So what we do, Ashley, and here's a little background, uh, and this is how politicians work too. Sometimes, oh, unfortunately, do tell. <laughs> yeah, is you don't prepare for each question because you don't know the questions that are going to be discussed, but you can prepare buckets, right? So you can prepare yourself for a general topic and then use those questions to steer it back to the topic. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's one very good technique. But again, it's guess what it gets back. It gets back to what we just talked about preparation and rehearsal. Yes, okay. So so you can't just wing it, okay? If you want to be a great persuader, and a venture capitalist once told me, actually the venture capitalist behind Uber and Airbnb once told me this, Carmine, the great persuaders have an unfair advantage Mm -hmm. because they can convince you of their ideas. But Ashley, here's the whole point of this, this entire conversation today. You need to understand that that's a power that you have. It's a gift that you can develop. And you do have to acknowledge that, yes, I want to be a great persuader and a great speaker and a great communicator, but I do have to take the steps to work at it.
0: Mhm. Mm-hmm. I want to do good in the world with this power. <laughs> um, okay, well, what is your, your first step you were saying is to, to stand out at work and to use persuasion is to steal a page from Hollywood. So what do you mean by that?
1: I love Hollywood movies, and I've talked to a lot of producers in my career and screenwriters. And they actually have a lot of great tips on how to capture people's imagination and how to keep you in your seat. That's their whole job, is to get you to the theater to attract you and to keep you in a seat. How do you do that? Well, a lot of what they do in Hollywood actually applies to a presentation. So the very next time you have a presentation, think about a few of these tips. Number one, and this is what I mean by taking a, stealing a page from Hollywood, you've got to have a good, what Hollywood calls, a log line. A log line is one sentence that describes your project. Hmm. So think about this, Ashley. The next time you're going to give a presentation on any topic, I need to know, and there, and there's science behind this, I need to know what the big picture is. I actually need to know where you're going. Most people start in the middle instead of backing up and saying, this is the big picture. This is the reason why we're taking this initiative today. OK, this is the reason why I, I think you should hire me or promote me. But in one sentence, because that's the way the brain processes information. It doesn't want to get Bogged down in the details, it needs to see the big picture. Mm-hmm. So the big picture should fit in one sentence. But this is the way Hollywood movies are pitched. When a screenwriter walks into a producer's office and says, I have an idea for a movie, the first thing that producer says is, What's the log line? Mm. The log line is, What is it in a sentence? Okay, I don't want to see your script on page 20. What is it in a sentence? And so one of the greatest log lines of all times is uh, Steven Spielberg. Well, it's a story about a hungry shark with an appetite for swimmers and boat captains. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to call it Jaws. It was a <laughs> best pitch ever. Sold. Great. Best pitch ever. <laughs> That's so funny. Okay. Yeah. So Ashley, when you, uh, I was doing some research on you, I obviously, I want to know who I'm talking to ahead of time. And I was on your website and you said, I'm a career and business coach who helps millennials master their job hunt and step into more authentic careers. Mm -hmm. That's Um, it. That's it. So what you just did is in one sentence, you gave me the big picture. Mm. This is who I am in a sentence. And it was very specific too. So now I know you're a Coach, but with a target audience of, of millennials, and here's what you're helping them to do. You're not helping them to do everything in the world, how to be a better skier, anything. No, it's how to master that job hunt and improve their careers. So again, it's in one sentence, you were able to describe who you are in a sentence. Mm-hmm. That's a very good skill to have. And you could do that on uh, for yourself, for your own personal brand. You know, who am I? Uh, what do I offer this particular job or this company? And in any presentation, always think of the log line. In any presentation, what is the one sentence that I want to get across? How do I pitch this topic in one sentence? So, so that's our first tip.
0: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Beautiful. And secondly, you talked about thinking about structure, you know, because, you know, Carmine and I, for those of you listening, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording. And you said, Carmine, you know, thinking through the structure of a presentation. I love this because I love structure, but I know not everybody leans towards that. So what do you mean by that?
1: There is a three part formula that all great stories follow throughout all of history. They all fall into this formula. Uh, In fact, George Lucas, when he made Star Wars, uh, became a student of narrative, of storytelling. And he talked to a man named Joseph Campbell, uh, who was a mythology expert. Mm -hmm. And he said all great stories from the beginning of time have a three-part formula. And that's why... Speaking of Hollywood, I don't want to get too immersed in Hollywood, but actually that's why every successful Hollywood movie follows the same formula. So you may think, well, it's too much of a formula, but that's the, that's why they're successful because they follow this age old formula. Now you can follow it in a presentation. So do you want, Can yes. we tell your listeners Let's the formula? Let's do it. Yes. Set up conflict resolution. Set Three up parts. Conflict. Setup conflict resolution. Resolution. All right. So, step one if I'm giving you a presentation, I'm trying to sell you on a product or I'm trying to convince you to buy a new product, let's just say that. I'm going to start with a setup. I'm not going to begin with the features of the product. I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to start by talking about the status quo and about my client and the world that they're living in. Here is your world right now. Here are the characters of, in your world. Uh, here are your customers. Here, here are your stakeholders. So in other words, kind of help your customer understand that you know their world. That's called the, set, the setup. The first 20 minutes, the first 30 minutes of any uh, great movie actually has to introduce the characters, has to give you their backstory, what their life is like. It's called a setup. You don't just dive into the movie. You got to have a setup set up first. Mm. Step two is the conflict. Now this is where a presentation can really stand out. The conflict simply means that I am going to introduce the problem, the villain. Here is the hurdle that you have to overcome. Now people like there are a few geniuses in communication. So for example, Steve Jobs could convince you, Ashley, of a problem that you didn't even know you had. Mm-hmm. That was that's that's <laughs> genius. That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> i remember at the end of the uh, the iphone presentation right 2007 a lot of people were skeptical uh, a lot of analysts were skeptical well we already have smartphones you know we don't have a problem by the end of the presentation they all said yeah we need that smartphone because he was able to convince you that you have a problem with existing smartphones you didn't even know you had a problem you didn't know you needed the ipad in 2010 People thought that was ridiculous. Well, I have a laptop and I have a smartphone. Why do I need something else? Mm. He was able to convince you. Oh, no, you have a problem here. Oh, wow. So that's, that's the conflict. And then finally is obviously the resolution. as a happy ending. Mm-hmm. This is the way the world is going to look for you, the client, at the after you buy into my idea or my product (laughs) think of all the wonderful things you're going to be able to accomplish and and all the money you're going to make it's going to solve all these problems that we talked about Mm -hmm. so it it sounds uh, it sounds kind of simple Ashley, but it really is the way a lot of presentations are uh, created now Uh, a lot of great presentations set it up first, here's the background, then introduce the, the conflicts or the hurdles, finally the resolution. Mm. Now, I actually, uh, I had already written that part of my book. Mm-hmm. And then I was invited, and I'll give you a little backstory here. I was invited to work with or meet some partners at McKinsey. Some of your listeners might be familiar with McKinsey. It yes. is one of the world's most influential consulting companies. It's actually really hard to get into, 200,000 applicants a year they only select like one percent and it's more selective than harvard to get into being a consultant at mckinsey
0: i, I actually found that out I, I was rejected second round interview after grad school when they asked me how many golf balls fit in an airplane and i just looked at them like Ugh, is it a boeing 747 you know that was my first question and then i, I kind of can't tanked.
1: stand this i, I can't stand <laughs> those questions so you know about mckinsey yeah so um Well, when young consultants start at McKinsey, often they have MBAs from prestigious schools. And what do they know how to do? They know how to create a lot of PowerPoints, 100 slide decks, you know, just these overwhelming PowerPoints. So they're actually they have to be retrained and they are retrained in something called SCR. And I asked, what what is what is SCR? They said, oh, that's McKinsey's proprietary way. You know, they think they came up with something amazing. They said, "This is this is our proprietary way of presenting information to a client." I said, "SCR." Well, tell me, what is that? Okay, here it is, Carmine: Situation, complication, resolution. Stop! Come like, on. Are you kidding? I said, "Guess what? Aristotle came up with this. It's about two thousand years old." But okay. <laughs> you know, cons- don't tell consultants they don't know what they're talking about. No, I'm, I, I'm just kidding. But, you know, it, it is kind of funny. Every once in a while I do talk to companies or, uh, or individuals who think they came up with just the greatest thing in the world. It's like, well, no, actually, uh, you know, it happened about 2,000 years ago, but go with it. It's great.
0: Well, so kind of uh, going, can I ask you a little bit about the setup? Because I know everybody kind of <laughs> understands the conflict. So let's say you're at work, you want to give a presentation to a client or to your boss, the conflict is always clear. Like, right. Like you, you kind of get an idea of like, what are they trying to achieve? That's not happening that you're there for. Um, and painting a picture of that. The resolution is what you're going to do. But when you say setup, that's the beginning of the talk, which I think is when you have the most nerves, you're walking into the room, you're getting started. Um, could you give me more of like a practical example of like, let's say I, you know, I have one-on-one clients that I help figure out their career path or I help business coach. I also have a ghostwriting house. Let's say that I am pitching to an audience and I want to get business coaching clients. What would be the setup?
1: The first thing we need to think about is the is the one liner. You need to have the long line mm-hmm. log line first. Mm-hmm. So, if you're trying to get new uh, business coaching clients, what is the one thing? that, and let, let me turn this on you and, and I just want to ask you this one question and maybe it comes back to something we've just talked about um, what is the, the one thing that you would want to get across in that particular conversation What what is the one thing about who you are that you would want to get across
0: so not like a tip but just a way of being like
1: no, it, just who who are you who mm-hmm. are you
0: I would say competence like I would want them to feel like I'm very competent
1: Yeah. So if in in the setup, the setup would simply be um, here is where you are in your in your career right now. Right. Um, And so that helps them understand that you've done your homework, that you understand who the client who you're talking to. If you get right into here's who I am and here is what I've done. And here's my resume, and my background. Pretty soon, you're not really telling a narrative. You're just kind of pitching your the the features of your product, which in this case is you. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. and, and you got a lot of great great ideas to talk about. And those those are the benefits and the features of a product, but you haven't really kind of structured a narrative. And the setup doesn't have to be long though, Ashley. Oh, a setup a setup can be just you know a few sentences, at least. Help the client understand that, you know, their industry right now. Okay. So from what I so from what, what I've learned or what we've talked about, this is where you are right now in, you know, in your career or in or in your company. Got it. Oh, yeah. And, and then they'll start nodding. Yep. Yep. You got me, Ashley. That's exactly where I am right now. Wonderful. Oh, good. OK. Now we can start introducing the conflict. OK. Right? Great. So, um, I, I saw a great presentation uh, several months ago from Brian Chesky, who was the CEO and the founder, one of the co-founders of Airbnb. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about the Airbnb story. Well, that story fell into setup, conflict resolution almost perfectly. I mean, he must be a student of, of storytelling because it was perfect
0: wait are you sure well, it wasn't falling under situation complication <laughs>
1: resolution <And> resolution, yeah <laughs> complication and resolution oh it's proprietary so maybe we should delete this part you know? <laughs> okay. but it was funny because Brian Chesky had started with a setup and he goes hey look if you think back of, of where we were we were just three guys sharing a, an apartment in San Francisco who couldn't make ends meet Boom! That's her setup. Great. So he didn't he didn't start talking about Airbnb. The setup is this is where it all began. Three guys sh- uh, couldn't make our monthly rent in a San Francisco apartment, so we had to come up with a novel idea.
0: Wonderful. Huh, okay, that's the setup. Great. And then they just get into the conflict. Okay, perfect. Okay, so tip number one, steal a page from Hollywood, have a log line, have one sentence, be able to express yourself clearly. Um, Tip number two, have the three parts, the setup, the conflict and the resolution when you're delivering a presentation. And then tip number three, you said was thinking visually about presentations. So can you expand on that?
1: This is hard uh, for a lot of people to have to kind of muster up the courage to do. But I assure you, this is the way you need to start delivering presentations now. Um, and I've been I've been really trying to hammer this point home for years, but it's still not it's it's very hard to get across to a lot of people until they start doing it. Uh, the, the worst way of delivering a presentation, the one that. Doesn't work, and we know it scientifically, is by putting bullet points on a slide. Uh, too much text overwhelms the brain. It's the least effective way of delivering information. And yet, in every conference you've gone to, and I'm sure every PowerPoint you saw at uh, when you were in the, in speaking to the military in your counterterrorism days, I'm sure every single PowerPoint looked the same. Yeah. It was all just bullets and charts bullets and charts yep that's the way most presentations are whether you use powerpoint prezi is interesting i like prezi now because it's um it's a little bit more interactive and it's relational it's more visual i like apple keynote as well for that reason but i've also seen great powerpoints powerpoints that are really really good for any presentation that's really good is more visual it's got images and videos and pictures that complement the narrative. That's why we had to talk about the three-part structure first. You've got to have a narrative. You've got to tell a story first. The slides complement the narrative. All too often, people put a lot of bullet points on, on the slide. Well, it's like they support, support
0: like themselves this... with notes almost. Right. It's like a socially it, acceptable way to remind yourself what to say.
1: It's They're just visual notes is what they are. Yeah. Now, here's, here's the point, though. And I wrote I wrote five stars because most people are average. That's an average presentation because that's what most people do. And then all of a sudden you come out and you're in this storytelling mode where you're talking about about personal stories, brand stories, case studies. You show pictures. You show images of the people you're talking about. Uh, All of a sudden everything comes alive and your audience begins to say to themselves, well, who's this? Uh, This person is interesting. You're different. Mm. But you have to be, because visuals are much more effective. And I learned this from John Medina, who's a biologist at the University of uh, Washington. He studies brain chemistry, how the brain functions. He said, Carmine, above all, uh, always tell your clients that pictures are more powerful than text on slides. you got to have a combination of images and text. Mm. Not not text alone, which is what 98 percent of presentations do. It's yes. text. So then all of a sudden you're going to come at, come in there and you're going to stand out because you're going to have that combination of images and text. Uh, and, and that's one way of standing out. Think visually when you give presentations. And the best way to do that is watch TED Talks. Mm. Watch TED Talks. I know uh, some of the people at TED, and I've I've worked with people who have given TED Talks. It's very important. There are no bullet points allowed on TED Talks. Now, TEDx might be a little different because the individuals have a little bit more... Um, leeway. They, they have a little bit more leeway. But on the national TED stage, it goes through filters. Mm-hmm. You cannot have a slide with bullet points on at a TED stage. Mm-hmm. So watch those TED Talks, and you'll see what I mean by the visual representation of ideas.
0: It's incredible. And how do you, Okay. So let's say that uh, the Airbnb talk with Brian Chesky that you were talking about. So let's say he's like, you know, he starts his setup and he says, we were just three guys in an apartment in San Francisco that needed to pay the rent. What would be a visual? Just a picture of the three of them in their apartment? Why not? Okay. And well, will there actually, be any Actually, that text? is
1: what he used, so oh, good. <laughs> you're right. Uh, <clears throat> actually, watch Brian Chesky. I'm going to uh, recommend that your uh, some of your listeners, if you want to just go online and on YouTube and you open up a couple of his presentations, uh, he's given a lot of public presentations. You'll see that his slides are actually very, very visual. Mm-hmm. When he introduces new products for Airbnb, uh, most of his slides tell stories of how they got there. Uh, he all, he personalizes them quite a bit. And when he introduces a new product that Airbnb is launching, he'll talk about his own experience when he was growing up. And those very first slides are often pictures of him or his family or when he was a kid or when they were in San Francisco just starting Airbnb. So he personalizes his, his presentations and he's very visual about them too.
0: Mm, that's so fascinating. And Uh, And great that people can go and take a look to get more of an example, because I don't know about, you know, everybody listening. But for me, when I see somebody doing something, that's when I can I guess I'm a visual learner, um, which is furthering your point about visual presentations. Um, But going into your next point, you, you talk about overcoming the fear that holds you back. And I know we started off talking a little bit about leaning into your fear, creating situations that kind of force you to make friends with it. Uh, What else would you have to say for I I know so many people listening are probably thinking, "Okay, this is great. I love that I have some, you know, strategies and tips to get started with a speech, but I'm still scared. You know,
1: there's one psychology tip that I'm going to tell you because I've I've not only read a lot about it, but I've talked to a lot of cognitive psychologists about it. Uh, Your listeners have probably heard this before. One of the most effective ways that we can uh conquer the fear of speaking up is by mentally reframing the way we talk to ourselves have you heard of this term reframe yes Yes. it's it's very very powerful and what happens is again it got it gets back to the social wiring in our brain it's okay to feel a little anxious when you're in front of a group or even the thought of speaking up. It's okay to feel anxious. So it's actually wrong to say, you should conquer a fear, con- overcome it. it's actually very hard to do because it's so ingrained in us, but you can reframe where, where you have so many pot, you, uh, you have so many positive images of yourself speaking or uh encouraging and inspiring a group that it becomes it, it becomes at a point where you begin to wash over all of the negative stuff doesn't mean that the uh, the negative feelings are not still there they are they're just minimized you can i give you e- a really good example of that Yeah. go ahead okay uh, true story uh i know a very famous uh pastor okay he's a minister And I came to know him a a few years ago because I write about you know, communication skills, and he contacted me and he wanted to tell me his story. He, he again, just like Warren Buffett, Barbara Corker, and many others, he was terrified of public speaking and actually did not want to become a minister for many, many years. He just, he was very content being behind the scenes. And then one day he kind of had that passion, right? He had that calling. He wanted to to start speaking in front of people. He said it took him about a year. And what happened is instead of just talking to himself with these negative voices, which he said were just constant, why are you here? You don't have the experience. You don't have the certifications. Why, are you, why do you think people are going to talk to you? He was talking himself out of it. Yeah. And then he finally realized, no, I'm going to start uh, – I- I'm going to listen to those voices. They're going to be there but I'm going to start talking to myself in a much more positive way. So he said it took about a year, it took a while now that minister sells out stadiums around the world. Mm-hmm. So can you imagine our knees buckling uh, with 50,000 people staring at you? Mm-hmm. So he had to reframe his way of thinking. And, I, and that got me thinking though, Ashley, I think we all do that to an extent where the negative voices are so overwhelming and, and we're our worst critics. So that reframing is a very important part of finding the strength to speak up for your ideas.
0: You know, uh, one reframe that you offered, because I know there's a reframe in how you talk to yourself and your negative self-talk. And the example you gave is probably one of the most common things because, um, we've, we've had about 2 million people register for an online workshop. I did back in 2016 and we did some survey data. And what we found was the topic of little experience or not being qualified was one of the most common buzz terms that we saw in our surveys around people's fears in the workforce. Um, so, you know, there's there's that element of self-talk and reframing how you talk to yourself. But another uh, thing that I heard you talk about that I thought was interesting and that I've used on myself was the reframe about making a story up about what you're feeling. So, for example, if somebody's about I remember back when I was about to give that TEDx talk, I, you know, I was I was in my mid 20s. I had never spoken to a large audience and was really scared on the side of and I went on stage after Guy Kawasaki of all people, who is such a seasoned speaker, you know? Yes. Uh-huh. And, and I was totally green. I was like, are you nervous? And he looked at me like, what are you talking about? And um, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I'm so nervous. And the reframe that I gave myself, and I've carried it with me forever, and you just referenced it, is I said, I don't know if I'm nervous. I just know there's a lot of energy moving through me.
1: Mm. Yes.
0: And the decision not to call it nerves completely changed my life, and I've carried it with me always. So whenever I feel Um, an emotion or something in my body and I see myself, my ego, wanting to label it something, that is when I interrupt myself and I just say, there's a lot of energy moving through me right now. And I decide to call it excitement. Maybe I'm excited. That's just as possible as being nervous.
1: I've talked to cognitive psychologists who work with athletes. That's exactly the advice that they give them. Okay, you, you have to actually label it differently. So it's not nerves; it's energy; it's excitement. Uh, can I open up and tell you my my similar story yes. of <laughs> of how I had to reframe something? Yeah. Um, obviously, I'm I'm very I, I feel competent about what I do, and I write a lot and I speak a lot. Uh, but there was a uh, an event several years ago where uh, i began to think i i i started second guessing myself like well, what am i doing here well why am i here so it was actually this is a real event it was on you could actually watch the video now i am sure it's on youtube uh vinod khosla is a billionaire venture capital investor in silicon valley and i live up here in northern california so vinod actually had his people invite me to a very exclusive event Uh, to speak about business storytelling so I went to the event and (laughs) I didn't know who else was going to be at the event I am not kidding you Ashley at the cocktail reception ahead of time I turned to my left I mean I I could already see it I turned to my left and there is Bill Gates hanging out talking to people
0: just Bill having a drink
1: (laughs) uh there is the former prime minister of england tony blair i'm not kidding i'm not making this up they're all here sergey brain comes Mm -hmm. in from google (laughs) okay so at this point i'm beginning to say to myself for the for the first time in years i'm saying to myself why am I here, oh
0: my god <laughs> it's yeah. like I,
1: I I'm not curing you know malaria. I didn't start google, and i'm I have to get up and speak to all these people tomorrow morning what what, what am I doing? so I began to get into that negative self talk Vinod Kosla gets on the stage and he starts talking about who our speakers are going to be the next day, and I'm one of them, and I'm you know just sitting there going you know I, I'm actually feeling like i'm I'm hunching like mm. because what am I doing here? And he says, all of the people I invest in and all the people I bring together are brilliant, but they can't tell a good story. So I brought in someone who's a great storyteller and who could teach us how to tell better stories. And all of a sudden, it's, you know, Ashley, I kind of sit up and, you know, my chest goes out a little bit. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sitting straighter going, yeah, I'm the storyteller. Peacocking it, was, it
0: up. You're like, hey, put your feathers it, back out, Carmine. It,
1: and if you go online and actually you could probably look it up because I know it's online. You could uh, Coastless Summit, Carmine Gallo. I, I think it came across pretty well. And you, But you don't know the backstory. Uh, again, it's that reframing. It actually took somebody to say a few words that convinced me to look at myself differently. And that's when I really started thinking about this, Ashley. Well, why didn't I tell that to myself? Mm-hmm. Why, why didn't I reframe my own mental approach to this situation mm-hmm. I, I waited for somebody else to do and that, that's fine it worked but I thought wow you know we, we really have this power to do that to ourselves to reframe the way we see ourselves and to, and to come out come across as much more confident and and qualified as, as we are so mm-hmm. I think that's very important
0: yes and your final point was to have a growth mindset so how do you hold that what does that mean to you
1: Oh, boy, this is so important, especially these days. Um, There is a lot of psychology out there, uh, Ashley, a lot of psychology studies that show people today uh, certainly don't know as much as they think they know, and that's a very dangerous mindset to get into these days because the world is changing so quickly. And one of the reasons why I wrote my book is because artificial intelligence, automation, globalization has turned this world into a hyper-competitive world that is disrupting everything, disrupting every career, every company. You have to have this mindset, uh, what Carol Dweck at Stanford called a growth mindset. Mm-hmm. Uh, Satya Nadella, who's the CEO of Microsoft, is really into this. He wrote an entire book that's all about the growth mindset. But he, this is the way he interprets it. He says you have to be a learn-it-all and not a know-it-all. And there's a lot of psychology to that because uh, we naturally think, all of us, we think we know what we're talking about. Uh, mm-hmm. Regardless, yeah, you drop a topic on us, we actually think we know everything about the topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's a mindset that's going to get you in trouble because you're going to stop learning. Mm-hmm. Learn at all means, and this is another great quote I learned from Ray Dalio, who is a billionaire a hedge fund manager. He says, Lear, learning it all means having radical open-mindedness, radical open-mindedness. That means that whoever has the best idea wins. So if somebody's a lot younger than you or less experienced than you or maybe a lot older than you, uh, whatever it may be, if that person has a better idea, learn from that person. Mm. Okay? But don't walk into meetings and businesses and companies thinking, I know it all and i have nothing else to learn you have to constantly uh, be learning everything everything that you can about a particular subject um, indra new i actually have a part of my book at the end uh, indra new is the ceo of uh, pepsico and she talks quite a bit about having communication skills if you want to separate yourself in the workplace which is why i include her in a book on communication uh, but one of her first things is she says before you become a great communicator you got to have that but you have to be really competent first Hmm. Right. it doesn't matter if you're a great communicator if you're not really competent so you got to have competency first but she said how do you have competency never stop learning about your area mm-hmm. never stop learning so you come into meetings knowing a little bit more than everybody else because you've just learned something from a book you read you just learned something from a conference you attended that other people didn't know mm-hmm. in that topic or in that industry always Always learn and then you can communicate your ideas in a way that really inspires people. But if you haven't learned anything new, Ashley, there's nothing that that this whole conversation that you and I have had is kind of a waste of time if you don't keep learning something new Mm -hmm. because then you have nothing to communicate Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) you have to have a good idea to communicate in the first place
0: yes yes well I know that our time is coming to an end but I wanted to just ask you a couple final questions the first one being um, outside of the amazing books you've written what is your favorite book for people um, to elevate whether it is related to communication or just their career in general
1: I read about 75 books a a year, (laughs) so it's hard to pinpoint one. Can I give you a category of books? Yeah. Can I give you a category that have inspired me lately in the last, I'm going to say, half year? Yeah. I have been reading all of these books, almost everything I can get my hands on, in the category of what I call progress, um, which are those books like Steven Pinker's Enlightenment Now. Uh, which is a big book. It's it's a 500-page book. Uh, But Johan Norberg has a book uh, on the subject. Um, Hans Rosling has a new book. Uh, He's passed away. He's a Swedish historian, famous TED speaker. Uh, He wrote a book called Factfulness. Uh, But going back to Steven Pinker, who I've interviewed and I've talked to, Bill Gates called Steven Pinker's book Enlightenment now his favorite book of all time. Wow. And all of these books um, have the same kind of theme, which is we are living in the greatest time ever in civilization, ever. This is the greatest time to be alive ever. Uh, and not just by a little bit. By a lot, mm-hmm. by a significant amount. Everything you have around you, especially if you're in a developed country, uh, even 50 years ago was unthinkable, let alone 100 years ago. So, But what that does, Ashley, is it gives you this incredible feeling that, well, first of all, you're always in gratitude. Do you, ever since I started reading these books, I, I don't complain anymore if my flight's delayed I don't complain anymore if I have to wait in line at Costco mm. because I know I'm surrounded by an abundance that, that generations before me have, could never imagine. But it gives you – it's empowering. It gives you confidence that, wait a minute, this is the greatest time for me to actually be able to expose other people to my ideas and, and to build a company or to uh, advance myself in the workplace. This is a great time for me to do that. And the reason why I got kind of turned on by these progress books is because I talked to an economist and a historian who I quote in my book as well. And she says, Karma, not only is this the greatest time to be alive, but it's the greatest time to get your ideas across. Never before have we had these platforms. You talked about you. You you became well-known, Ashley, because of webinars. We you didn't have that technology 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. So we had this. It's incredible technology and platforms to get our ideas across, which is why this particular economist told me that's why persuasion is your most important skill right now. Okay, mm-hmm. because it, it, it's not you're not you're not building a career based on how well you can plow a field anymore. We're not in the agrarian age. We're not in the factory age. We're in the idea age. Mm-hmm. And so, if you can't get your ideas across in a convincing fashion, you're going to be left behind. Wow. So it's kind of like, it's empowering, but it also reminds us that we have these incredible platforms to get our ideas across in ways that we never could years ago, but we do have to be good persuaders and good communicators.
0: Gosh, this has been so wonderful. Where can everybody find you?
1: If you can remember my name, which is a good Italian name, Carmine Mm -hmm. Gallo, Mm -hmm. uh, you can go right to the website, CarmineGallo.com. The book is called Five Stars, and that is also available everywhere books are sold, also in hardcover, Kindle, and audiobook. And we have a, its own designated page, if people can remember, the thefivestarsbook.com. Thefivestarsbook.com, is its own dedicated page as well. But you can find everything, as long as you remember my name, Carmine Gallo, it'll get you to Twitter and social media and my website.
0: Thank you so much, Carmine. It's been such a pleasure. Hey there. So just reflecting on this episode with Carmine Gallo, who wrote Talk Like Ted and has helped some of the most influential speakers all over the world. And it was such an unexpected little treat that he had watched my TEDx, which was a weird, scary moment to realize I was about to get feedback on my podcast about it. And uh one of the most amazing things that I think I took away from the episode was this concept of visualization. And one of the tendencies I think you might have or I've had certainly is to have a negative visualization. And often when we visualize things in a negative way, the reason we're doing it is to protect ourselves. That's why our ego is hardwired for security and safety. It's to keep us alive. That's why when we are on a hike and it starts to get cold and our phone service dies out, we start to quietly panic about our survival because our ego is in the world to help us to survive. And part of the way that it does that is it visualizes the worst case scenario so that we can activate ourselves to avoid it. That would be the ideal. But what ends up happening is that the ego kind of goes out on overdrive and we end up imagining the worst-case scenario all the time. And what we don't realize we're doing is we're visualizing what we don't want happening. And far too often I've asked people in their love lives, and their careers, what do you want? And for some reason, I'm often met with a long list of pe- what people don't want. And they might even say, well, I don't know what I want, but here's what I don't want. And if we even simplify that, you know, because every new year, I will, instead of coming up with New Year's resolutions, I'll come up with one word that I want to embody in the new year. So this year, my word hasn't been the most exciting. It's been responsibility because I'm learning how to manage money and invest and all sorts of things that feel highly responsible adulting. Last year, my word was equanimity. And so if I ask you right now, what do you want to be more of in your life? I want to invite you to stay on the vibration of what you want because when you go around the world telling people what you don't want, you come across as hurt, wounded, or defensive. Whereas when you go around the world just stating what you do want, you come across as clear, high self-worth, and valuable. And obviously, you, you are worthy and you are valuable no matter what the hell you say, But just a tip as far as your job interviews, your conversations with men about what you're looking for. If you're dating and they say, what are you looking for? If you start going on about what you don't want, whether you're a man or a woman, the person listening is going to think, oh, wow, they've been wounded. They've been hurt. And that's how you're going to come across. If you start talking about what you do want, you look empowered and you look clear. And I want to invite you into this when it comes to the idea of visualization. If you start to pay attention to how often we start to visualize the worst case scenario, we put our defenses up and we do it because subconsciously, if we imagine the worst case scenario, we can prepare to handle it. But what we don't realize along the way is that we are constantly visualizing scenarios that we don't want and we are actually co-creating that result by doing that. And so while it's great for you to prepare for the worst and hope for the best, I would say start using the tool that Carmine mentioned, of visualization. Uh, I remember before I gave my TEDx talk at Berkeley back, you know, five years ago, every night before I went to bed, I would have this nausea hit me because I would imagine the the lights from the stage on me, the four thousand people in the audience. I'd never spoken to a crowd before. I imagined me forgetting my words, and but believe it or not, I started to rehearse backstage right before i went up and i forgot all my words before i walked on if they had called my name i would have walked on and forgot all of my words but because i was backstage i had a minute to look at my script and remember what i wanted to say but it was almost like all of those nights of visualizing that i would forget my words lent itself to me forgetting my words and i was lucky in that moment that i had my script i was backstage but if i was standing on that red that big red o you know front and center I think I would have forgotten my words and it's because I visualize that moment happening so much. And so my invitation to you is where are you visualizing the worst case scenario? Where is it time for you to really step into a mindset of clarity, of intention and knowing the best is yet to come? Because more often than not, we can find answers in life with what we do know. So let's say we're dealing with some sort of challenging situation and we're stuck, not sure what to do next. A lot of the times we go into what we don't know. Um, but really what I found is that most people can get the answer of what they want or what to do next if they simply focus on what they do know. So my invitation to you is to start evaluating where are you having negative visualizations? Where can you start to visualize results that you actually want? And what is the belief that's keeping you from hoping for the best? What are you thinking that's keeping you from activating into the belief that the best is yet to come for you? So I know this is, you know, totally random collection of thoughts after. Um, And then, you know, final question is, what do you want to grow more into this year? Think of a word that you want to be more of. And what can you do to be more of that word? Not what you don't want to be, but what you do. All right. It's been an honor. I'll talk to you next week.